Hello and welcome to Scott Rock. Where your hosts from Climb Scotland, Robert McKenzie and me, Cal McBain, catch up with climbers every two weeks who have different epic tales to tell us. We hope you enjoy the show. And remember, when you're out climbing, be safe and do your buddy checks. Hey and welcome back to Scott Rock. Today on the show I have an old friend joining me, one of the coolest people you will ever meet, such an inspiration to everybody, Anna Wells, fresh mountaineering climbing instructor, international mountain leader, doctor, all-round mountain fanatic. For all of you who know Anna, you will agree with me that she has accomplished a lot in a short period of time and with the struggles and setbacks that she's faced in that time, Anna's story from mega strong teenage crusher to mountaineering instructor is one of the most inspiring stories you'll hear. Uh, Lots of lessons to be learned um, from Anna's inspirational words here. So grab a cuppa, sit down and chill with me and Anna Wells. Cool. Are we ready to go? Yeah, we're ready to go. (laughs) Are you nervous? Yeah, I'm nervous. (laughs) Oh my god, this is actually happening. Actually getting to sit down with Anna Wells. You finally pinned me down. (laughs) Finally. Right, yeah, actually, to start off with, I have interviewed quite a few people now. Some big names, some total legends, some people that I never thought I'd actually get a chance to sit down and talk to. Um, But out of all of them, Miss Wells, you were the most difficult to pin down. (laughs) I'm very sorry. But ha, I've got you. You're here. You have. And you can't get out of it now. Well, I mean, this is over Zoom. You could hang up on me if you really wanted to, but please don't. I promise I won't. (laughs) So yeah, it turns out that uh, no matter how many amazing things you do, no matter how much of an inspiration you are to so many people, uh, and no matter how many selfies you post on Instagram, you are still quite shy and modest about when it comes to like bragging about yourself. Oh, yeah. Well, nobody likes to brag about themselves, do they? <laughs> Dude, I've made an entire career over that. I listened to your um, podcast just yesterday, actually, and you were very humble, I have to say. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you very much. I won't be humble for from now on. That was my one time being humble. <laughs> my ego is now huge. Uh, so, yeah, this is my opportunity, finally, to sit you down and ask you loads of questions. So... I mean, I'm just going to go big. I'm going to say, tell me everything about your life from day one, go. Is that a real question? No, it's not a real question. (laughs) I'm not going to be that mean to you. Good. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So yeah, we've known each other for a long time. Yeah, we have. Could could you actually put a guess as to how long it's been? Uh, Well, it's probably been like 19 years, I think. At at least that, because you... Did you start climbing at the wall when the wall was first opened? No, I was a little bit after. You were a little bit after, I remember, like, going in to look at the wall and being amazed, seeing all these people going up and down and being really, really jealous and knowing that I wanted to do it. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But I started when I was 12, um, so you would have been, like, 10-ish? Yeah, 10 10 or 11. So, yeah, that was a couple of years after the wall in Inverness opened. Um, Yeah. So, yeah, man, it's been... 19, nearly 20 years. <laughs> yeah, like two thirds of our lives. That's a scary, scary thought. That makes me feel really old now. 
Um, <laughs> so yeah, uh, we kind of, I, I consider that I grew up with you, Anna. We grew up climbing yeah. together in the Inverness Wall. It was awesome. We had an amazing squad back then. We did. I think we were so lucky. We just had such an amazing gang of psych people. Yeah, man. We, like the, the crew that we had, we had some super strong kids in that group as well. Like, um, you know, me and you were not by far the strongest in that group. Uh, yeah. And it was awesome. Yeah, there's a lot. And I was thinking, I was when I was writing down questions to ask you, I was like, oh, I wonder what memories, like what Anna's favourite memory from back then is. What Could you give me one of your favourite memories from back in the day? Old school memory. Um, I remember your birthday party at Cummingston. I remember that as being an amazing day. I oh, do not even remember Wow. <laughs> wow, I'd totally forgotten I even had a birthday at Cummingston. You did, we yeah. Did, uh, we did the Tyrolean Traverse across to the sea stack, didn't we? We did, yeah. And we did. We did top roping on the big, the route, the prow, the big overhang. Oh, yeah, top um, rope in the prow. That's an exciting one. And I also remember your dad had, uh, like, made you a cake with some sort of very talented icing painting on the top of a climber. A man of many skills. Was he your is dad. a man of many skills. I'll give him that. I, I don't have... Oh, I, he sent me... A, he, he painted me a couple of things recently. I've got them up in the flat here. They're they're awesome. I'll send you some photos afterwards. Um, because oh, wow. that that's relevant to this podcast. Oh, I love it, man! We had some we had some fun trips back then. Um, oh, we definitely did those those trips to go and compete at the the bricks as it was then the YCS finals were like definitely the highlight of my years. I used to look forward to them. They were so, so much. good, so good. Like we did loads of trips as well. Like loads of we did like loads of outdoor trips, loads of comp trips. You know, we were away yeah. loads. It was brilliant. Um, yeah, and I think your dad was like massively instrumental. Um, um, well, definitely for me personally, in sort of giving me those opportunities to go climbing outside that I otherwise definitely wouldn't have had. Yeah. Um, and well, it's so cool that like you're doing the same thing now, and I'm trying to do the same thing now. <laughs> the point of being trying, you are doing the same thing now. Yeah, I want to do more of it. Yeah. I think it's so important. So, from your thoughts back in the day, where where was your love for climbing? Like, where was that? fixed was it on the indoor side the outdoor side the competition side because obviously we like like you said my dad got us to do a huge range of all of it so like what was what was the thing that kind of tied you to climbing um i think i always liked like hanging out at the climbing wall (laughs) um so like the indoor side of things yeah i didn't really have like other than the times we went out with your with your dad and you guys, I didn't have that much exposure to outdoor climbing until I went off to uni. I used to kind of beg various people at the climbing wall to take me out, <laughs> which often resulted in being put on routes that were far too hard for me and getting really scared. <laughs> yeah, did you ever go out with like Nick to Boost and Mike Lee? I have a very vivid memory of, I think my first time ever trad climbing, I went out with Nick to Boost and Mike Lee and... I, they put me on Razor Flake at Antelchig, the HBS. <laughs> That's so cool. I'd like, it was cruel. I'd never um, placed gear or anything like that. And I don't think they'd even like prepped me on how to do it. Um, so I was leading up this route and, and Nick was beside me on Abseil, which in retrospect was actually quite responsible. Um, but what he was also doing was like filming me uh, having a little cry halfway up the route. Uh, Please tell me the footage of that still exists. Uh, you'd have to speak to Nick about that. <laughs> I 
see if I can hunt, hunt him down. Uh, but he, he did also like lean over and place a nut for me. So they, they were looking after me. Good. Yeah. As well. <laughs> but I mean, razor flakes, that, you know, you're 10, 12 feet off the deck by the time you get your first bit of gear. Yeah, although, like, I guess coming from such an indoor climbing background, it was probably less distressing if you knew you had to just climb and there wasn't any gear. And then it became yeah. dist- distressing when you knew you had to place gear and you didn't know how to do it. <laughs> <laughs> Um, God, I, 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 I've got so many stories going through my head, but I, I'm not going to get sidetracked here. I'm going <laughs> to continue with what I was wanting to chat about. Um, so, like, we, you know, we did a lot of stuff back then. Um, but now you have come full circle. You are a fully qualified MCI. I am, yes, you as are. of this year. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, what, what do you get to do as an MCI? What is an MCI? Um, so... MCI stands for Mountaineering and Climbing Instructor, um, and it's the new name for what used to be called MIA. So it allows us to basically do anything at all in summer conditions relating to mountaineering or climbing. So typically teaching people how to trad climb um, and taking people scrambling in places like the Coolin Ridge or uh, Roots on Ben Nevis. Just total freedom to go and play total freedom yeah awesome. exactly it's like a big pass to just go and do whatever you want <laughs> but and, safe of course and this is a pretty recent thing you only just passed it as well yeah just in september this year nice well um, done congratulations thank you very much <laughs> yes <laughs> i was delighted to get it done it's um nice to feel like 2020 has delivered something positive <laughs> yes uh, there's another sidetrack like i was speaking to i've had this conversation with a bunch of people lately and as as bad as 2020 has been climbing has actually been a reasonably good year yeah yeah and yeah do you mean in terms of like things that people have achieved in the climbing community and yes and the, yeah. the, the full spectrum of that whether it's grades or cool adventures or passing awesome assessments like you yeah no totally yeah. i think it's i think for a lot of people just having after the first lockdown's ease, just having more free time and thinking about what's important and having missed it for so long as well. Yeah. People have just been able to go and do lots of it. Mega motivation to go and do it. Um, Definitely. So what what is it that you want to do with this with this ticket, with the MCI? Like you said, you want to do more, um, you know, work with kids like we got to do back in the day. Um, so what, like, what is it you want to do with the MCI? Yeah, definitely. I, I really enjoy working with kids. Um, and I think the aspect I like most about it all is, is teaching. So rather than just like taking people on experiences, I, I really like being able to teach and give people the skills so that they can go forth and do things independently. Yeah. So I'd like to do more of that for sure, especially with like kids and women, um, because there's not so many female MCIs um in scotland kind of actively working and maybe especially for kids and women it's more like relatable they're less intimidating i don't know i don't like to use that that word or that term but i think for some people they they do feel like that that's right i'm gonna tell al halewood you just called him intimidating <laughs> <laughs> um but you so you've already done you know, you, you advertised some youth sessions um, after you passed the, the MCI and uh, you've done a lot of work with 
GCRS. You were you were you were part of the the birth of GCRS, were you not? Yeah, I sort of I started up the youth squad that then evolved into becoming the GCRS. Yeah, because um, I I'd, I'd come from Inverness where we had that like amazing youth scene and you know so many sites kids climbing all the time and then I'd gone to uni in Aberdeen and got a job at the climbing wall yeah and I was like I was a bit sad that there wasn't really a youth scene so there was like the kids clubs that the wall would run and um, and I I'd, there was a lot of talented kids within that but they were just kind of coming once a week and the system meant it, it wasn't so easy for kids to like progress because there'd be like beginners joining the group every week um, and there was also a lot of talented kids who'd be coming down with their parents. Yeah. So I kind of handpicked a load of kids and invited them to like Sunday training. So we used to do like Sunday coaching and um, practice competitions and they all got involved with the youth series. Um, and then that just developed into the Granite City Rockstars, which is now like a much more inclusive club as well. So it's not just aimed at yeah. um, like coaching and experienced people it's aimed also at beginners and they're doing a lot of outdoor stuff now too yeah yeah i've worked with them quite a bit over the last couple of years it's been great um so yeah you've always had a a, a love for you know teaching kids I, I suppose like you said it's kind of come from being that kid yourself um and now with this ticket you're getting to do some proper awesome stuff um with kids so the love for teaching like what does it what does it mean for you? Like, um, what do you get out of teaching kids? Not just what they get out of you. Yeah, that's a deep question. That is a deep um, question. Well, I think it's the same with like teaching anyone really. It's just seeing, I guess like, because we've all got that sense of being like addicted to climbing and having, having that passion for yeah. it. And I think seeing that, start up or ignite in someone else and like knowing that you've been a small part of that is just like really really cool and imagining like how that's going to go forwards in their lives yeah and and I think it is different like if you're teaching people to do something rather than just sort of giving them a very managed experience um you know that they're going to be able to like develop that into a big passion yeah Nice. Yeah, well that makes put. sense. <laughs> well um, so yeah, like uh, the MCI, you passed it this year. You're trying to start, you know, doing all this stuff this year. But obviously, this is not. It's not been a great year for for a lot of things. So how have you found it to, on a professional level, trying to get all this stuff up and running, and uh, sort of getting your MCI ticked, doing all the prerequisites you had to do for that, and then getting work um, this year? How have you found it? Um, I think in the beginning it was all a bit stressful but I think it just became so chaotic and you know there'd just be like blow after blow and after a point you're just like oh it's just another <laughs> catastrophic thing that's happened because <laughs> originally this year um, I passed my international mountain leader assessments in February I finished the winter part and I had like a full season of international trekking work lined up from sort of April to October um, and then that all just disappeared in yeah. one big pile. <laughs> so it was after I, I came back to Scotland because I'd been out in France until March. And it was actually only then that I decided to do the MCI this year because I'd kind of planned to 
you know, earn some money this year <laughs> uh, doing the IML work. Yeah. Um, but then I thought that the opportunity to just focus whenever lockdown eased in July and August purely on doing my MTI just seemed like a really nice alternative focus. Um, and I loved it. Like, I absolutely loved preparing for it. Uh, I had so many good fun days out, like, scrambling and teaching climbing yeah. with, like, friends, colleagues, some random people who I found on Facebook. And <laughs> it was just so much fun. <laughs> awesome. I, it's nice to hear that, like, while this has been a stressful year, it's actually brought some big positives for, for you, you know. And I know that sitting at home watching your Instagram waiting to get out has been inspirational because you get you have done some crazy stuff this year man oh thanks you've been on some <laughs> awesome adventures um so yeah you've i'm gonna get deep i'm, I'm gonna go for it i'm gonna go deep here uh okay. so you've always had this, this uh, deep underlying sort of love for climbing the mountains teaching uh but you've not always wanted to be an mci no no <laughs> I've taken quite a long road to get there. You have taken quite a long roller coastery road to get there. Um, uh, little Anna's original direction in life was to become a doctor. Yeah. Yeah. Well, there was actually a segment even before that because um, I went and did I did a four year mathematics degree at Aberdeen University, <laughs> um, and then started working as an actuary doing like insurancey stuff. Yeah. Um. That, then I moved on to medicine. <laughs> so, <laughs> right, from from leaving school and deciding what you're going to... Tell me, like, tell me about that journey. Like, what what made you want to do mathematics for four years and then totally change that to go and be a doctor? Um, I really, really like maths, and I still do. Um, and so... It just seemed like a very enjoyable thing to do at university. <laughs> uh, that doesn't and I sound along... like a very enjoyable thing to do at all. Sorry, I'm going to be honest. <laughs> I think it's a bit like Marmite with math. Like, you either love it or you hate it. Um, and I'm weird and I love it. <laughs> I'm going to say that it's maths has got a problem with me. Yeah, that's a good way to phrase it that way. <laughs> <laughs> so you went, um, you went to uni... To do maths just because you loved maths, it wasn't to to head for a certain career. Yeah, pretty much. Fair enough. Yeah. Um, and then, like, at the end, I got a job. Well, it was like, it was a graduate job and a summer internship between third and fourth year with a company in Edinburgh. Um, and whilst I was doing this internship in the summer before my final year, I kind of got this obsession that I just wanted to be a doctor and I wanted to do medicine and there was nothing else to it. <laughs> um, and I met, I met a girl during the internship who had felt the same, like that she was now an employee with the company. Right. So she had decided she wanted to do medicine, but thought she'd take the graduate job just in case she didn't get in. And then she got her place in medicine, but stuck with the company. Cause she was like, Oh, I'm comfortable and I'm earning money now. And and then the next year she applied to medicine again, got in again, but was like, oh no, no, I'm too settled in my ways now doing this actuarial job. And I was like, oh my goodness, I don't want that to be me. And I quit that day. So I quit my internship, lost the graduate job. That day, <laughs> went back. Wow. Yeah, and then I went back to, to uni and, and I just started doing loads and loads of voluntary work for the rest of the year, like alongside finishing my math degree. 
Um, so like working with the ambulance service and like care work and yeah. stuff just to build up a good CV for applying to medicine. Wow. So where did that, you said it was an obsession that you decided that you wanted to be a doctor. Like where did that come from? Um, I think it was something I'd always thought about. You went, you, you, you chose to do maths, but you always had it in the back of your head that you wanted to do medicine. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Um, so like, where did that come from? Like, I, I, I'm curious, the, obviously you've always been super intelligent, super smart, love for maths, high level education. Uh, was there... No, was that was there a pressure to kind of capitalize on that? Is that where the doctor thing came from? Like, I I am able to be a doctor, so I need to, you know, commit to this. I think there wasn't a conscious pressure, but I think there was probably a subconscious pressure because right. I think, unfortunately, that's kind of how the education system works. Like, I think when you're having your chat in high school with your guidance teacher you do get kind of guided in a certain direction um and so yes I definitely didn't feel I was ever going against my will but I I do think there is a subconscious pressure that if you're if you're academic then you should pick one of these careers because you can (laughs) and actually that's something that like I've thought a lot about and at some point in the future, I would love to be able to go and like speak in schools and talk about alternative career paths because, this, I, or is this my opportunity This is now? your opportunity. <laughs> this is your chance. This this is going to go out to millions of people, I promise. Millions <laughs> of people. Every, every child so, in the country is going to listen to this and get inspiration here. To all you children listening to this... <laughs> <laughs> Don't just be limited in your career ideas to thinking you have to go to university or thinking that you have to do one of these sort of high level, high paid jobs. You need to think about what you love doing and what you're going to enjoy doing. And there's so like there's so many options that you just don't really think about in school. And especially now that like the Internet's so massive, there's so much more like media related things. And like, yeah, there's it's just a whole different world, I think, yeah. to... To what, to, to what we were, what we had back then. Uh, yeah. Like you said, there's so many jobs out there that you wouldn't, as a you know, 16 year old in school, you would never have heard of. You would never totally. know that these jobs existed. So, yeah, it's following following a passion, like you said. Um, and like, can you imagine the horror on a guidance counselor's face if a straight A student <laughs> just like turned around and said, "I want to be a mountaineering instructor." yeah and I think that's the thing like it's I think there's just the fact that if there's horror that's just so wrong like it's I think we just need to relook at everything yeah totally totally um I will say though that you know this is this is going to be in a a slight advertisement for rocks and trails here but if there's any if there's any any MCI in the country that I would like to go out in the hill with just in case something goes wrong it's going to be the doctor (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah i've definitely had clients say they feel reassured with that knowledge yeah. when they've known <laughs> so did you have thoughts back then about wanting to work in the mountains or or in um, climbing because like what like what was your kind of uni life like obviously you had more freedom to go out climbing you were going outside more you were climbing with friends 
uh, more as a recreation thing rather than just a club or competing, but still working towards your degree. So, like, what was yeah. that uni life like, that transition? Yeah, like, I guess most of my social life was via people I met in the climbing world, like, because yeah. I worked there and just sort of the other instructors. So I, I was doing loads and loads of climbing. Um, but I think I never thought about it as a career. It was sure. always just the fun fun thing you did. Yeah, and I was aware that it was a career. I do remember um, in fourth year of medicine when I was sitting studying for finals for days and days on end, I remember looking through the application criteria for like the the guide scheme the ifmga guide scheme and i think that was probably the closest i was like realistically thinking about alternative careers yeah um i i did my ml and my spa um like quite quite early on when i was like i did my spa when i was like 19 maybe and i did my ml training around that time although i didn't do my assessment for another 10 years um (laughs) so i was kind of like aware of the the industry yeah um but I just never realistically thought about doing it because I don't know I guess I was just on this you were on road this tra- I thought I was trajectory. on and that was it yeah <laughs> yeah it's it, it's funny hearing you say that you were looking at the criteria for the guide scheme in your fourth year as you're studying for the final <laughs> exams when you changed from mathematics after you just got uh, the was it the internship and then you went to do medicine like it's funny it's like right at the point where you're starting leaving like very... and starting to get a job <laughs> you decide to change <laughs> i know it makes me sound very indecisive and non-committal <laughs> I, I didn't say that at all that's not what i said <laughs> <laughs> no but but like so interestingly for me the thing with medicine um so i finished my medical degree and then i worked for two years as a junior doctor yeah um but my transition then to the outdoors was not about thinking like oh that's something I really want to go and do instead it was in realizing that I like just could not cope with with the job um in medicine so Um, what what was it like that first first year as being a junior doctor then like was kind of what what did you think the job was going to be and what was the kind of the realism of it I think for me the (laughs) the difficult thing was I just felt really, really stressed, like, all the time. And I think it was a personality thing because I'm, like, very, very conscientious and quite perfectionistic. And I think I just felt like everything was my responsibility and I just had a permanent massive fear of, like, ever doing something that wasn't perfectly optimising a patient's care. And obviously with the pace of the NHS, um, like, you just cannot do everything to... To perfection like I remember um during my a psychiatry placement in in med school and um, one of the psychiatrists saying to me like oh I'm worried about how much you care about everything <laughs> he was like it takes this amount of time you can't see my hand gestures but like small tiny amount of time to make something 90% okay but then it takes like this disproportionately huge amount of time to make something 100% okay yeah and he was saying like you need to learn to be comfortable with the 90% um, but I think when I was working as a doctor and just feeling so responsible for everything, I I was just always unsettled. So I'd be like staying hours late every night to make sure I'd done every conceivable thing I could. And then like, you know, phoning up the ward to check I'd done this and that. And 
Yeah, it was um, exhausting. <laughs> not, not to be controversial, but it, you care too much to be a doctor. Well, yeah, I think I think it's just about needing to like learn to be more sensible and practical about what really really matters and yeah. what's going to be okay. Yeah. Um, so R- after rather two than years, having to go above and beyond for every patient. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah, and I think I think a lot of it was kind of like self-confidence as well um just like lacking the belief that my judgment was good enough yeah in medicine and I think confidence is like such an interesting thing because I think we talk about it as if it's like one thing but I think you can be immensely confident in one area and totally not in another (laughs) because yeah totally like for me in the mountains I feel like super super confident and and even like looking after people i feel totally happy in my judgments and making decisions about things whereas i just never got to that point in medicine right yeah confidence is uh, confidence is relative yeah exactly depends on the situation and your experiences yeah so uh, you were this two years that you were a junior doctor you were placed uh, in fort william right I had the first year in Rakemore in Inverness. Oh, did, uh, right. I thought you were two years in Fort William for some reason. No, just one year in Fort William. Right, right. So was it any different changing from Inverness to Fort William then? Because obviously that was a second year. Had you sort of settled a bit more into the job? Or was the the last year more of like knowing that something wasn't right? Um. I think I just had ups and downs along the way, to be honest. Um, It was quite a big step moving to Fort William because the hospital there, um, because it's a small rural hospital, um, just the way it's set up, like I would be the only doctor in the hospital on like night shifts and sometimes on weekends. And you always had a consultant who you could phone, but they would usually be the same person who'd be on for the next day. So you couldn't like phone them all all night long. (laughs) (laughs) Um, so so that was quite challenging I think sometimes I kind of thrived a bit under that pressure and sometimes it was just like overwhelming right was there like a a moment where you were thinking like this this isn't right I I'm I'm not enjoying this or was it like a kind of a kind of background feeling that you had um um no I think I realized quite early on so about four months into my first junior doctor year um I it got to the point where I, I sat down with my supervisor and the program director and said I'd like to leave the program and like how do we go about doing this um but they kind of they persuaded me to keep going um uh but yeah I, I guess I just kept I don't know I think like if you go through life I've always relied on this formula that if you put in hard work you will get the result (laughs) and I just felt like no matter how hard I tried to like be able to cope with the job and do the job well that I was just still struggling and after two years um I kind of thought well it's like you're all if, if you're just always hoping for something to be better in the future it's like when does the future become now and actually maybe this is long enough that I have tried this for um, so I, I never decided like that's it I'm leaving yeah. um, I I just decided I needed a break so I went I 
I kind of ran away to Chamonix. I literally <laughs> packed my life into my car and, and drove out to Chamonix. Didn't know anyone there. Yeah. Um, and just lived out my car and did loads and loads of climbing and alpinism for, well, on and off for two years, really. <laughs> uh, yeah, like, you did. You totally, like, finished up your two years and escaped the country. You fled the border. <laughs> uh, yeah, more or less. Was you know that's you know a huge leap of faith to to drop a, a career like that after you know after all the years that you've put into getting there um, to decide I need out I need a break or whatever and to to take that leap of faith go for the career change or go for the break that must have been a, a scary moment. Um, I think the thing is there was never really one moment because a lot of people, a lot of doctors take a year out or two after after their second junior doctor year. It's quite a natural break in the system where you can take some time out. Right. And often okay. people would do like locuming, so kind of like freelancing ad hoc shifts. And I did actually sign up to a locum agency before I ran away to France. So that was kind of like, you know, it was always there. Like I'd be getting texts about shifts every couple of days and you're yeah. like, oh yeah, that's still there. And I guess it just made for like a slower transition. <laughs> um, but yeah, you did. You, you, you know, you up and ran away. You, uh, you bailed to the Alps. Why the Alps? Um, I'd spent quite a lot of time in the Alps and just like, absolutely loved it um so like back in so I really love the sunshine <laughs> I love being warm <laughs> and I love the sun and I love like big mountain days and sort of big endurancey challenging stuff yeah um and I like back in 2013 me and Tim Gummersall had gone to the Alps to try and like climb as many 4000ers as we could yeah um and I just like absolutely loved that and I think I just I just wanted to go and like be in big mountains and just be like stress-free carefree seeing amazing views like scrambling around having type one fun (laughs) type one fun in the sun in the Alps not quite the same as bumbling about on Nevis in between shifts yeah although to be fair um that was what the summer of 2018 when we had like a few months of wall-to-wall sunshine yeah. I think that was when you came and um stayed in Fort William um and actually that was like absolutely amazing because I had a GP job at that time so yeah. I was kind of like nine till six every day and and I would go in the evenings like running up and down like Tower Ridge Observatory Ridge and I love Ben Nevis. <laughs> Definitely not dissing Ben Nevis. Oh no, um, like, but there's more options for sure. <laughs> more options and more sun to be had. More sun, yeah, yeah, I think so. So, like, what was the, what was the kind of plan with your break? Did you have a plan at all, or did you just decide like I need a way? I love the Alps. I need to just go and spend some time there. Yeah, that was literally as far as my plan went. Like, I didn't know. <laughs> I, I said to myself, actually, I remember saying to myself, like, give yourself a year to, like, not be stressed and not feel like you need to have a plan or need to choose what's happening next. Um, so, like, during that first year, anytime I caught myself being like, oh, but what am I going to do? I was like, no, just stop. Just enjoy the now and, yeah. and have a good time. <laughs> and that I that think right there I was, is amazing advice. Yeah. Yeah, I think, I think that was good. Because we spend so much time, like, worrying about the future. And often... 
like opportunities do just come along and things just happen yeah and we worry about things that never actually occur or we never actually need to end up thinking about <laughs> yeah no absolutely um, so what how what was your time like in that for that you were you out there for a year or two years well i was back and forwards a little bit um i was out more or less for the first like end of summer autumn and winter but then i came back for had a shoulder operation last april yeah so i came back to the uk for that um, and then I went back out to the Alps and did lots of walking because I was doing my international mountain leader stuff there. So I basically bought like the biggest bum bag I could find so that I didn't need to carry a rucksack while my shoulder was healing. <laughs> and I was able to go trekking and stuff. <laughs> awesome. Uh, the, the photos of you with a bum bag looking like the biggest American tourist bumbling yeah. about on hills <laughs> in, the, in the Alps. Um yeah, what was that a couple of years like then? Just without a plan, just enjoying yourself. Was it what you were hoping that gap was going to be? Um, so initially my plan had been, um, so over the last few years, I'd done quite a lot of like dry tooling competitions. I'd taken part in the Ice Climbing World Cup yeah. for four years, but um, I'd always felt like I hadn't quite had the chance to give it my all because it had been alongside like medical school and working. Yeah. So my initial plan was I wanted to just, train like I literally just wanted to go and move into Ratho and do loads and loads and loads of climbing and training and bouldering <laughs> but then I, I injured my shoulder um so I couldn't do that I couldn't really climb hard so that was kind of why I went out to the Alps instead but but actually like yeah I had the most amazing time ever I kind of got into the idea of like I guess I'd call it fast and light alpinism but off an easier level so I, I did loads of 4000ers as like day trips from car to car so yeah. instead of like walking up to a hut and staying in a hut or using lifts um it just like start at midnight at the car and then go up and all the way up and down in a day and that nice. like saves a lot of money but also meant you didn't have to like carry all your night stuff yeah and, yeah I loved that I really enjoyed that and I like I wouldn't have done that if I'd been in Ratho but I would have also loved that. Like, I think that's the thing with, with life. You get thrown these curveballs and things take a different direction to what you planned for them to go. But as long as you, like, keep doing things that you love and are true to you, then I think you just end up on On the right journeys. path, eventually. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And, like, get, um, I think given the choice of, you know, doing day trips up 4,000ers in the Alps or living at Ratho, I think I know which one I'd choose. It's just different though, isn't it? Like if it's feeding a passion and <laughs> it's something that you love. Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> mm, I think I know which one I'd choose. <laughs> um, yeah. So what, what was the kind of highlights of what you did then? Um, I think one of my favourite things I did was two days with, do you know Neil Adams from Glasgow? Uh, um, ooh. I, I recognise the name. <laughs> but we went um we went and did we did like two days in a row of doing four thousanders but they only had like maybe three hours sleep in between and yeah. it was like a total of five thousand meters i think in the end but, but the sort of end of the second day it was this traverse between two peaks called uh uh lenspitz and nadelhorn and it's just like the most amazing high level traverse 
it's I don't know like you know it's easy it's like AD plus alpine grade yeah. which maybe is equivalent to like v diff diff v diff that kind of thing yeah um and I don't know we just had amazing weather and we were just like so tired but having so much fun and I think that's my favorite thing it's just like scrambling around moving on interesting terrain where you're like engaged but you're not fearing for your life um and you're moving so you're not getting cold yeah and yeah I love that and then like I did Mont Blanc in a day as well which was quite cool like from from Les Ouches, which is at 800 metres. Yeah. We set off at midnight and then the top's at 4, 8, 10, I think. So it was like... Good effort. Um, Big walk up. Yeah. The last, like, 500 metres were much harder than all the rest put together. <laughs> <laughs> Why? But that was cool. Did you have any issues with altitude going that quick? <clears throat> um. Well, only because it kind of forgot that I'd unacclimatized because I'd like been out in the Alps for quite a long time and then as it happened I had spent like the previous few weeks rock climbing low down yeah and I just like I just forgot that acclimatization was a thing if that makes sense because I was so used to like going up high and coming down and just being constantly acclimatized um that I think I actually had declimatized quite a bit before that and that definitely made it harder <laughs> yeah like doing that much ascent in in a day that's ambitious. Like that would definitely yeah. mess with me. Um, like the highest, the, the highest is... I've been up, I, I will admit to being super, super lazy. And I got the cable car up the Aguil de Midi. And oh, nice! There was like four people in the cable car with me. Had to get taken down instantly because they had altitude sickness, or they were not oh, really? feeling, they were not feeling well at all. You feel it like um, walking up and down the steps around the building, don't you? If you. Or did you not feel it? I didn't feel it too much. I felt all right. It was cold. Yeah. It was colder than I thought it was going to be. I don't know why I didn't <laughs> think it was going to be cold. You know, it's way up in the mountains. Yeah. When were you there? Uh, oh, that was 2009? Yeah, 2009. Oh, nice. It's when I just left school. Yeah, I just left school. Oh, cool. but, like, that was the That was the trip I got blown up, actually. Oh, the tent went on fire. Your that fingers one. have recovered now. <laughs> Everything has recovered nicely. Yeah. Glad to hear it. Uh, yeah, that was that trip. That's probably why we got the cable car up, up actually, is because I was still wrapped up in bandages. Yeah, you were looking for alternative activities today. Yeah, yeah. I didn't appreciate the 80 euros for one trip, though. No, yeah, it's super expensive. Yeah. Super. Um, yeah, I didn't have a... Like, most people out there have a season pass, and... The first year I was out, I didn't have one. Um, well, for the summer, and and like so, a lot of the cl- the rock climbing places like Brevant and Flesher, it starts like at the top of the second cable car. Yeah. So I just used to get up really early and walk up and meet whoever was my climbing partner, who'd have come up on the cable car and carried the ropes. <laughs> so that like became my routine. <laughs> um. So yeah, you do, You said you dotted about between Chamonix and Scotland within that couple of years, and obviously you did some pretty cool stuff out there. But you also ticked some big things over here. Uh, you did oh. some ma- major ticks, uh, Miss. You, uh, well, actually, you got the record. You had the record for the Coolin Traverse, <laughs> fastest female yeah. traverse of the Coolin Ridge on Sky. 
that has since been nailed from you. Yeah, it certainly has. Um, <laughs> I I have to say completely honestly that my immediate reaction to that and the only one I've had since is just like total joy because when I first when I first did that and sort of put my time down like you know called it a record or a fastest time I was like mostly embarrassed because it's so much lower than than the guy's time um what, and so what was it six, was it six and a half yeah six and a half hours but like the, the guy's record's like less than three hours you know so it was more than double um, I mean, still, that's a long way to go in six and a half hours. Yeah, it is. <laughs> it's yeah. So I was like really, really psyched when I knew that someone had kind of looked up my record and decided to go and do it faster. Yeah. Like I was just delighted that it's like it's become a thing. But I definitely do want to try and go back and beat it. <laughs> I was going to ask, are you going to go back? Oh yeah, I definitely love to. Awesome. Um. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> I'm, I'm surprised you didn't, if you felt that way about it, I'm surprised you didn't go and try and beat your own record beforehand. Like, you know, like the old school speed ascents of stuff in Yosemite, like guys would go up one day and put up mm. a time and then the next day would go up and take three minutes off their previous time. Yeah, no, I 100% wanted to. And like, yeah, my desire to go back and do it faster is probably not that different now that the record's been broken than it already was before, right. if that makes sense. Because like, I've got a time in my head that I want to try and do it in. And Will, will you tell like, us the time? I'd love to do that. No. <laughs> <laughs> I'll tell you if I do it. Oh, damn. No, you got to tell us the time because then we can hold you to it. <laughs> oh, nah, I'll let you know if I do it. <laughs> okay, okay. I better be you the can first have to know. First release. Yeah, yes. okay. Yes. <laughs> Awesome. Oh, well, I'm psyched to hear you try and go back for that, like. Um, yeah. Have you got... A, are you going to try it next year, do you think? Uh, yeah, I think I think next spring and summer I'll probably spend quite a lot of time, like, guiding yeah. on the ridge. Um, so, yeah, hopefully, like, days off and... And so much of it's like micro route finding as well. So yeah. I guess I'll gain like an inside out intrinsic knowledge of every rock on the ridge and be able to <laughs> optimise the journey. Oh, well, if you want a day guiding on it, you can take me along. Oh, yeah. Have you done the ridge as a Trevor? No. Oh, we should definitely do that together. Totally. Like, I've been wanting to do it Let's for so it. long. I don't know why I've never actually just gone and done it. But yes, yeah. I would love to go. Oh, 100%. Let's go and do that. <laughs> don't don't try and take me along for any kind of speed record though. Like, I I I'm I'm not planning being fast. Oh sure, I'd only be holding you back. You'd probably be faster than me. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Not these days. When I want to get I want to get back into the the MCI thing. When when did you decide that you wanted to to do your international mountain leader to to start working properly in the mountains and not just for play anymore? Obviously, you you said you did your your SPA in that way back when you did your ML assessment, but you hadn't really considered it as a as a career choice. When was it? When was that decision to actually make it a career? Um, I think it was the first winter I was out living in Chamonix. Um, I just met, like, I guess I was friends with a lot of people who were on the guide scheme. Um, and actually, I first thought that I wanted to do the guide scheme, and I got like quite overly psyched on that like trying to start collecting all the ticks for doing 
the the sort of IFNGA scheme. Yeah. Um, and and then I also met a lot of people who had their IML, and I think I realised that. I realised that the reason I was initially attracted to the guide scheme was because I was like, okay, I want to go for the highest level award. <laughs> you know, it seemed like the, the creme de la creme. Yeah. Um, but then when I actually sat back and thought about what each of the jobs would involve and the kind of lifestyle I wanted, um, I decided that the IML sounded a lot nicer. Like walking around with groups of happy people in the sunshine and like, you know, big chunks of work pretty much always managing your trip you know like everyone usually makes it around the Tour de Mont Blanc trek or the Hope Route yeah. Trail um and it just seemed like such a nice job <laughs> like a lot a lot easier on your body and mentally than than yeah. guiding people yeah. um and then yeah I guess just from like all the people I met out there I I just sort of got a good insight into lots of different jobs and and ways of life um, and also just the idea that I wanted like a simple stress-free life because I started when when I kind of realized I was gonna stay out there for for a while and my savings were running out I I got a couple of jobs so I did a lot of babysitting and dog walking and transfer driving and I was like I think at first there was definitely a part of me that struggled a little bit with identity because like before I'd seen myself as like a doctor and a climber and then suddenly I felt like I was neither of those things because that was before my operation. I still wasn't really able to climb. Um, but then, like, I just kind of became comfortable with that. And I was like, oh, this is actually really, really nice. Just being able to live cheaply, uh, drive people around, walk some dogs, and then go climbing and skiing for five days. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, this is all right. <laughs> yeah, a bit of a world change when you go from being a doctor to a dirtbag. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I definitely enjoy being a dirt bag. <laughs> so what did the kind of process of getting your qualifications look like then? Because I'm not sure what it, what goes into the International Mountain Leader. Um, so the International Mountain Leader has got a summer training course, which is five days in the UK, and then a summer assessment, which is five days in the Alps. Um, or Pyrenees or whatever Um, so I did that like I did them quite quickly because I had a lot of experience so I I was able to do my training and assessment summer ones in in the same year like in May and then July but I kind of I was able to dedicate all the time in between them to like focusing on it so I shadowed like a two-week trip with a company as a assistant leader took turn about leading days yeah. and just spent lots of time out in the Alps preparing um, and then for the winter component of the IML you have a training and assessment course both out in the Alps uh, and Plasi Brennan the centre in Wales have got a system where if you've got quite a lot of experience on snow then they'll let you do your training and assessment in the same year right so I did their like first training course at the start of January and then their last training course at the end of February. And I actually think in a lot of ways that's easier than doing it a year apart because it was like all super fresh in my mind and I just had those like eight weeks in between to yeah. consolidate. Practice snowshoeing. So so the IML um, is all about snowshoeing. You don't use axes and crampons. We're not qualified for, 
putting that is just for going snowshoeing. Yeah, the axes and crampons, that's more in the guide level kind of stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. So I'm not did... sure if rats have got intermediate qualifications for like that kind of stuff. Yeah. When did you fit your MCI training in then? Uh, I did that in the se- September. September last year, right. Yeah, so like in between the summer and winter bit of the IML. And that was kind of touch and go because I'd had my shoulder operation in April and I literally hadn't climbed, I don't think, at all until the week before my MCI training. I was like, oh, I better give this a shot. (laughs) Um, I was quite nervous about the, like you do a day of rescue practice and people had told me like that it's it's the most physical thing you'll ever do in your life. (laughs) That, nah, they were pretty nice to us. It was okay. Nice. Nice. Um, and then you did, you know, your MCI assessment in September. So what has, uh, what's life been like, uh, like on a personal sort of side this year? Like having been able to go back climbing again after your shoulders, is your shoulder all right? Like all good now? Yeah, it's like, it, I made such a fortunate full recovery. Yeah. Um. Yeah, within like nine months, I was pretty much not noticing it. Yeah. So I feel very lucky. <laughs> so yeah, like this year, like on a personal, like getting all these qualifications, being able to go climbing again, obviously with everything else that's gone on this year, uh, how's how's life? Oh, life's good, thank you very much. <laughs> <laughs> um, I guess I did loads and loads of sport climbing uh, in like J- June. Yeah. Before we were allowed to travel, um, I just went like four days a week to the camel. Yeah, so so many photos of you in the camel. Oh my gosh, I loved it there. (laughs) I'd never actually like spent so much time sport climbing ever. Um, And it was really cool. Yeah, it was awesome. I really, really enjoyed that. But then I kind of, like I think I, I can be quite obsessive. Like I'm good at focusing on one thing at once. So as soon as we were allowed to travel my brain was like right now you've got to focus on your MCI (laughs) and I was like oh no but I I should still spend a couple of days like sport climbing to keep all this fitness that I've just built up yeah because I was climbing better than I ever have in my whole life and but but no my brain just didn't let me do that and I spent (laughs) all my time like short roping scrambling and you know climbing v-dip at the most yeah um which I as I said like loved I really enjoyed all of that but my fitness just went totally out the window. What happens? Um, yeah, for sure. But you, you, uh, and then, sorry, go on. Uh, well, you might be about to say this, but you, you, I've seen a couple of posts on Instagram lately. You're you're focusing on bouldering for the winter. Well, that was the plan, and I really enjoyed like the three sessions that I had before I developed crippling tennis elbow. Oh, God. <laughs> so, <laughs> I have I've been quite unlucky with injuries. I think. You have been climbers. really unlucky with injuries. Like, yeah, you you've had like such a roller coaster all over everything that we've spoken about in the last hour. Like it has been such a roller coaster, and injuries just seem to be like mixed in there as the little twists and turns. Yeah, they are, aren't they? Yeah, it's, I think it's kind of cool though because they just like I don't know. You always come back more psyched, don't you? And yeah, like. It's like, you know, that three months of lockdown not being allowed to do anything. That first week you were just like, oh my God, I don't care that it's top rope and I'm getting to go climbing. So yeah, totally. coming back from injury must be the same. Yeah. And I think you just come to accept it. You're just like, oh, no more climbing again. Because hmm. like, 
after that operation, I, I was climbing again by the end of the year. And then I did loads of climbing for three months. And then I snapped a pulley in my finger. Um, so then I had a couple of months off. And then just when I got to fitness again was when lockdown happened. Yeah. <laughs> and then, and then yeah, there was like awesome sport climbing. And then I got all obsessed by the MCI. And At least and... during the first lockdown, you got enough recovery and give your yeah, definitely. proper R&R. Proper yeah. Yeah, I think there's a lot of people doing that. <laughs> yeah. Like, I've heard so many people say that they came out of lockdown feeling stronger because they'd actually had rest. Yeah. They'd got to recover properly. Yeah. So what does the... That's... Now you've come the full circle. You've gone from climbing as a kid to maths to doctor <laughs> to playing about in the Alps back to working and climbing. Like, you've come the full circle. What does the What does the future look like for Miss Wells? <laughs> um that's a good question i think i'd like to do a mixture i'd like to spend my year doing like a mixture of uh iml work like some trekking work abroad but also settle down a bit more in scotland um as a sort of main base and yeah. do do the teaching climbing and scrambling work um not too sure about the winters because I'm, I'm like really bad with the cold so i haven't done any uk winter qualifications and yeah. i have no intention to <laughs> so I, I think exactly I kind of like the same. <laughs> are you? Yeah. Good. Oh, we should definitely go winter climbing together. Together. Then. Oh yeah, we'll just we'll... be two crying messes on a ledge somewhere. And we'll, we'll both want to like bail for the hot chocolate at the same time. Yeah, so. totally. Like perfect. You mean before we leave the car? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. <laughs> when we uh, open the car door and feel feel how cold it is. Yeah. Yeah, that like that, that's I'm exactly the same. That's one thing I've never really wanted to do. Like I'm quite happy to go up to MCI level. I want to get my MCI, but playing about in winter for work does not excite me at all. I'm sorry, but no. No. Yeah, same. <laughs> like get go. I think like agree. You can agree with me or not, but like going out for a personal day out winter climbing every now and again, or however often you want to do it, is great. But having to do yeah. it as a career and like no, that doesn't excite me. I think as well, it's like when you're out for yourself, you you know that at any point you can turn around and go for that hot chocolate. Whereas <laughs> if you're out with a group of people, you, you're kind of committed to enduring it for the day. Yeah, you've got to convince them to go for the hot chocolate. Exactly. That's yeah. part of being a great mountain leader, I was taught, was like how to convince your group to bail so that you don't have to make a decision. <laughs> you know? It's one of the best <laughs> lessons that I ever got taught on ML training was how to convince your group that it's time to go. Yeah, get inside their heads and yeah. <laughs> say all the right trigger words. Uh, what about like personal climbing goals? Are you what? Have you got any apart from you know retaking your crown for the cool and traverse? <laughs> um, I I would like to get better at sport climbing. I'd like to focus on that. Um, because I, I I so much enjoyed that first stint after like in June, I thought it was really cool how like quickly I felt progression just yeah. by like constantly constantly climbing, and I'd like to be able to do that. There's been a few points in my life where I've you know like had access to a wall like Ratho and being able to do it for a couple of months, and I'd just like to do that for a bit longer and just like be able to dedicate some proper time hard to I it. Climb. Yeah, yeah, I'd like to do that. Um, yeah, I think that's my main motivation at the moment. Nice. Nice. 
Um, are you planning taking that abroad anywhere, sport climbing? Because that's one thing you've not mentioned at all, is going away sport climbing uh, in whatever. Um, obviously, there's lots of sport climbing around Chamonix. Yeah, yeah. There's there's a really good winter crag um, where I went a lot during the winter. Yeah. Uh, up at a place called Beyonce, and it was mad because you'd be you'd leave your your flat and it would be like minus eight, um, really cold in the valley. But then you'd get up to this south facing crag that's at I think a couple of thousand meters, and and suddenly you'd be climbing in shorts and t shirt, and it was amazing. <laughs> I <laughs> that loved it. That sounds awesome. That sounds yeah, awesome. and I I spent some time in Spain last winter as well. Yeah, and that had kind of been my plan for this winter. Like if I'd done that big season of IML work and COVID hadn't happened, I'd planned to go and spend a few months climbing in Spain. Uh, but yeah, that can be a dream for the future. <laughs> for sure. Like if you're gonna like we the last couple of years we've tried to go to Spain uh, for winter, Christmas, uh, New Year kind of time. And it's yeah. awesome. You've got to come with us. If I'm going to come with you and do the Coolin Ridge, you've got to come with me to Spain. Deal. Deal. I am totally game for that. Oh, oh, we should all go on a trip to Chilea. Yeah, Big man. Reunion. That sounds awesome. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Well, thank you very much. Thank you thank for you. having me. What Was that as bad as you thought? Uh, I'm just going to sit now and reflect on all the stupid things that I possibly said. So <laughs> right, I can put together like a, a bloopers edit for you. Oh, thank you. Yeah, no worries. <laughs> That'll make me feel better. Yeah, I'll release that instead of the proper interview. Yeah, by accident. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. Well, thank you very much for sitting down with me. Uh, it's sad that we can't do it face to face just now, but uh, we will. We will get out climbing soon. Promise. Love it. Big thank you to Anna for sitting down with me. I know she was super nervous about chatting about herself for a full hour, but I think you'll agree with me that she did a fantastic job. And hopefully we will catch up with Anna soon and I'll actually get to go out and do some climbing with her for something I've not done in a long, long time. And guess what? Guess what I will be doing when I'm out climbing with her? Doing my buddy checks. Make sure you do too. Bye.